How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. From the land of the free and the home of the Chiefs, with two-man coverage of the red and gold, this is the Locked On Chiefs Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome back to another episode of Locked On Chiefs. This is your episode for Wednesday, November 2nd. Kansas City was busy, extremely busy yesterday, making a lot of roster moves. Uh, That is something we're going to be talking a lot about on today's show. I do want to emphasize that you ought to go take a look at Locked On NFL with Matt Williamson. He's a great job of covering the entire NFL. He goes in-depth into different games each week and talks about power rankings uh, of the entire NFL. You also need to go check out Locked On Fantasy Football with Vinny Iyer. He can get you ready for fantasy football on Thursday night and then this weekend as well. So while we're waiting to hear what's going on with Alex Smith and Spencer Ware, here's what went on on Tuesday. Jamal Charles and Parker Iger are on IR. It doesn't mean it's season ending. They can still come back. I think it's an eight-week minimum. So if Charles can get scoped and get cleaned up, there's still a chance for him to come back for the playoff run. Beyond that, they signed Bishop Sankey, another running back, to try and backfill some of that. Uh, Darren Reeves remains on the practice squad. They waived both Sam Barrington and C.O. Moore, the two linebackers that they brought in in recent weeks. And they elevated Terrence Smith from the practice squad. He is the guy who got some snaps late in the preseason, another speed linebacker. We'll talk about all this, but that's the rundown. All right, we're going to chuckle as much as we can tonight. Seth is back with us. Off of Arrowhead Pride, you know him very well, and so do we. And we're going to try to get through this show without making Seth cry. But what's going on? You heard the news today that Jamal Charles is out on IR, as is Parker Iger. We're going to talk about the injuries. We're going to talk about Foles versus Smith. But we're going to start with Seth's favorite player of all time. I was actually just, uh, I was. we were talking, you know, right before we started that I didn't realize that he was my all-time favorite chief until this year. Charles is unique in a in a game that is violent and physical. There was just something genuinely beautiful about the way he played the game. Something genuinely beautiful, especially when you watched him live. And what I I think what I wrote on Twitter, which doesn't do it justice, it it, it genuinely it's like he was skating or gliding while everyone else was stuck running. Yeah, was, his track background makes that look just so graceful, doesn't it? It just it, it looked so different is the only word that my wife could use when she watched him play. My wife is not, you know, Mrs. Minnesota Chiefs fan is famously difficult to impress. She makes some guest appearances well done, in my articles. <laughs> she's made some guest appearances in my articles, and she she's difficult to impress. She, you know, especially when it comes to football players. But I remember, you know, she watched Charles live with me, and she just she said he's different. He looks different than everyone else. It's like they're playing different sports, and it was just the most unique privilege watching him play live. He was worth paying money to see in a loss. 
you know, say like that horrible Denver loss in week two last year. Yeah, I know he had that terrible fumble at the end of the game. But to be fair, the only reason they were in that game was because of Jamal Charles. But his uh, his his cutback touchdown, I just remember watching and just thinking, what is going? I mean, how? How does he do that? And she just commented, you know, that he just looks different. It was just, he was, he was ridiculously fun to watch. By all accounts, he's a good guy. Um, yeah, I, I, I can tell you, I was legitimately, genuinely sad when I saw that he got put on injured reserve because much like everyone else, my assumption is this is, this is probably it. That, that's my yeah. assumption. And well, I don't have that same assumption. Yeah? yeah. And I'm with Ryan. I don't have that assumption that it's necessarily it. I will say that uh, I'm going to have an article tomorrow on Air Addict talking specifically about Charles and what his uh, situation with Kansas City going forward could be. Uh, I don't want to get into it too much, but I will say that it, it. you're right. I mean, it doesn't look good. There are a lot of things that will have to be ironed out. But I'm not so sure. And, you know, you had some great gifts that showed this. I don't think he's done. I don't I don't think it's he's done because of his knees and that he can't play anymore. He's clearly shown in a very small sample size, albeit that he can still play. So I think he still has the ability. The question is, is how do they get it to work next year? If that's if that's the if that's the way they want to go. Well, no, I think he still has the ability. I showed a couple of gifts on there, you know, one where he chewed up an angle that the linebacker thought he had on him on a quick wheel route against the Raiders. And the other one, you know, a big gain. You know, a lot of his a lot of his runs, you know, the line didn't really give him anything to work with and he'd still get a, y- a yard or two. Um, he that that first carry where he carried like three guys, six yards or so. I mean, he still had the ability. It was just the swelling and the soreness wouldn't go away. My concern isn't that he's lost it. My concern is that we'll never see him healthy again. Um, that That's my concern. And, you know, it's a little early, you know, given that it's just today, you know, it's early to eulogize his career. But at the same time, uh, I, I, I wrote this when uh, when he got hurt last season. I um, I wrote an article called, you know, I hope we get to appreciate Jamal Charles again. And there was just something about what happened. I don't know. There was just something about the way he got hurt. There was just something about the way he got carried off the field by Houston. There was just something that felt. Like, and I, I'm trying to find here's what I wrote. I wrote. I feel like something ended on the field at Arrowhead yesterday. I, and I, I don't know. I don't know. Hopefully he comes back. But there's just something. There's some kind of finality feeling to it. You remember with Priest, you know, he kept trying to come back. No, granted, that was a spinal thing. But I, I'm just not sure that we're going to see Jamal Charles healthy again. That's my that's my concern and that's what I'm legitimately sad about, you know. And then also, you know, my my ten year old son Tucker is coming with me to the game this weekend, and I was so excited for him to see Charles. And I just hate. I feel like he's lost something not being able to see Charles. Yeah, it's a once in a lifetime chance for somebody that age, you know. It, it is whether he makes it back this season, next season, or next. There's yep. there's that chance that he's getting older to the point where 
he doesn't have a whole lot of time. I personally don't think this is an, a, a career engine ending injury uh, because of how he looked when he was on the field. I think he's re-injured something. It needs to be tweaked. It needs to be scoped or cleaned or maybe even another minor repair. But I expect, just from what I've seen, that Jamal Charles is going to run again. I just hope contractually is for the Chiefs. That would be a uh, man. That would be fantastic. <laughs> I'd well, like to. Thing. I'd like to believe that genuinely. So I, I hope you're right and I'm wrong. I uh, yeah. I'd let, if they'd have to work something out next year, you know, because there's no way they're going to pay a guy coming off two surgeries seven billion dollars. There's just no way they're going to do that. Yeah, they have to lean on that relationship that they've developed over the years. Yep, hopefully. You know, Dorsey and, and Reed, they, they paid Jamal a couple of years early, if I remember. Um, and they, they've, they've talked about how much they valued him and that kind of thing. So hopefully they work something out to where there's a low risk thing. I don't know. Like I said, I just I, I felt like something ended last year against the Bears. And maybe that's why I was so happy against the Raiders, because it's very rare in life, even with something as, as uh, silly as sports, it's very rare in life that you you expect the worst and instead the best happens. And those, those kinds of wins are rare in sports and in life. And I think it just felt like that kind of win. You know, to where it's like, oh, it's over. No, wait, it's not. You, you're kidding me. So... That, that's that's why I, I was legitimately, genuinely down. I was sitting there. If you look at my Twitter feed, oh, my goodness. As soon as I saw the news, I mean, I was like, I must have tweeted like, there was like 10 like emo tweets right in a row. <laughs> they were just like, they were just legitimately, I was just sad. I had people in my, that followed me going like, seriously, stop. I can't take this. And like, I was making everyone else sad. You know, misery loves company. So. Well, I'm get sorry. I'm sorry that I had to point out to you and I, you know, we could talk about Jamal Charles and what he's meant to this team and, and all about him the entire podcast, but I want to shift it a little bit. Uh, There was another person that, and this move hasn't been announced that I've seen from Kansas city, uh, but it's been announced that Iyengar tore his ACL in the game against the Colts. Can you talk Seth about what you thought he's done in the past couple of games uh, and what you think he's done overall? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's really unfortunate that he got hurt. I was really down on Anger during the preseason. I thought he lacked the functional strength to be a pass blocker in particular. I thought he was going to be a disaster. And while he's had his rookie struggles, he hasn't been great or even that good at pass protection. He's held his own there for the most part. And he's been a surprisingly good run blocker, like really good in space. I mean, it was fun watching him and Morse and LDT and Fisher, all of them, you know, get out into space because, man, that line could run. Um, and so he, the amount of improvement I saw from week one to week four was really impressive. And so that's tough because the offensive line was really starting. Now, they were playing some pretty bad defenses, but in the past, even bad defenses were getting pressure on the Chiefs. The offensive line was playing well overall. They were they were getting out in space. They were making good blocks. Those stretch runs were great. They could run them to either side because both guards and, the, and Morse could pull equally well. Um, so that's it's a bummer that he's out. The line was really starting to gel. The protection against the Colts was, by and large, fantastic. Outside of like a couple of just kind of, you know, miscommunications they seem like. And so that's really a bummer that he's out. Um, Zach Fulton 
is not, in my opinion, a good guard, but he's not terrible. He'll hold his own in pass protection. Um, in run blocking, though, the Chiefs lose something there because he just can't get out in space the same way. And so that that that's going to limit the play calling a bit. Uh, that said, he, he doesn't have complete stone feet, so he can do a little bit. And he's got really good functional strength. And so that might, because Anger did not have good strength, even once he improved. And so maybe what that might open up is more of a power game to the left side because Fisher's strength has really come a long ways. He's been plowing over guys this year. So you've got Fulton and, and Fisher next to each other. They might move to more power stuff on the left side there. Well, and that was one of the things that Ryan and I have talked about is that with this injury to Iyengar, I think that's the way they have to go. They have to adjust what they're doing on offense. They cannot put Fulton in a position where they're trying to get him to pull out there and get ahead on blocks. It's just going to mess up their offensive rhythm and their plays. And mm-hmm. the other thing that I really think that they need to consider, and this is something you were just talking about, when you look at what this offensive line has lacked, it is lacked ability to get short yardage situations recently, even with Spencer Ware. And it's because they are trying to get too cute and they're pulling people. Maybe mm-hmm. having Fulton there and Fisher next to each other will give them the ability to get, to pick up those types of plays. I absolutely agree. I mean, it, it's it's it, it drives me insane when you see them running stretch zone stretch runs outside on third and two. I mean, you're just that's when you've got defensive linemen crashing, and that's the thing that if you've got defensive linemen crashing from the other side, it can really screw with your play. And it just doesn't work. And so I, I hope to see more of that, especially in short yardage situations. Overall, though, you know, that's why you have a guy like Fulton. He provides good depth. Would I rather have Ja Reed out there? Yeah, I think so. But they are bound and determined to have him back up a tackle. So there you go. Well, you could always have Fulton be out there as a lead blocker on a uh, post screen pass. Well, there you go. That That's <laughs> that's the ticket. Now, there's a couple other moves that happened today. Let go of a couple of linebackers in C.O. Moore and Sam Barrington. Looks like Ramik Wilson is going to get that job. They brought in Bishop Sankey as another backup running back. Looks like West is probably going to get the go this week as we haven't had any news about Spencer Ware. So moving on to a couple of more positive things, what do you think of uh, Bishop in particular? Um, you know, I don't know enough about him to have an opinion one way or another. I, I reached out on Twitter, and I know Joel did at Arrowhead Pride, too. And, you know, we were rewarded with some articles that were written by uh, Super Bowl Nation guys um, from the Titans that showed some gifts and talked about his skill set. I, I don't have really high expectations. I mean, he's obviously got some skills, or he wouldn't have been taken as high as he was in the draft. I think he was a second-round pick. Um, but... I mean, what we need is just a guy to hold the line. Um, and one, you know, this might be the first time I'll ever, and maybe the last time I'll ever say this, if there's any offense that can weather not having, independent on how Charkandrick West is doing, not having a good or great running back, it's Andy Reid's offense because he'll he's just going to call a bunch of those little run substitution plays that drive us all crazy, except when you don't have Spencer Ware or Jamal Charles in the back field it makes a lot of sense to run those plays and he ran a ton of them down the stretch against the Colts when West was clearly not feeling well he kept clutching his hip when he went down and he clearly was physically not right you know that's why they gave the ball to uh you know I think it was DeAnthony Thomas on a handoff Charkandrick West was clearly Mm -hmm. not healthy at the end of that game 
And so Reed called a bunch of those, you know, those quick throws outside and that kind of thing to substitute for the running game. And it worked by and large. Now, that won't work consistently, but it it can fill in a little bit. Um, And, you know, Sharkandrick West, if he's healthy, is a guy who can fill in for a for a a game or two and do okay. He's not on Spencer Ware's level. I don't think he's close, but he does have the speed to hit the edge. He does run aggressively. He pass blocks well. He's a he's an okay running back. And so I think he can fill in and, and do what he's got to do if he's healthy. I'm just not sure he's healthy. Seth, I, we want to talk to you about your Smith versus Foles piece that you're going to be writing or that you are currently writing right now. Do you want to talk about that? Uh, sure. I, uh, you know, obviously the, the big topic up until Jamal Charles got, you know, sent to injured reserve this week, everyone's been talking about Nick Foles. He stepped in, he played well. I don't think there's any argument to be made that he didn't play well, particularly for a backup. Um, he came in, the offense didn't really miss a beat and they ended up with one of their highest point totals. If not I'm trying to think, have they surpassed 30 this year before that game? I can't recall. But anyway, they they came off with, you know, a good offensive performance. And there are a lot of people that are saying a lot of things about Nick Foles. And so, you know, every week I've reviewed Alex Smith's snaps on all 22. Well, this week will be no different. I'm still going to review the quarterback snaps, except, of course, this week it'll be Foles and Smith. And I actually finished that earlier today and I did what I always do. You know, I charted missed shots and happy feet snaps and how many had how many inaccurate throws they had and how deep those inaccurate throws were, the depth of targets, stuff like that, franchise quarterback throws, which is entirely subjective, but I love tracking it anyway just because it bothers people. <laughs> <laughs> so so I did that for both Smith and Foles and you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna write up the article tonight, but considering what the narrative has been um, about Nick Foles, I think some people are going to be surprised at the overall results. Um, not that anything I write will ever change anyone's mind about literally anything, but I think people might be kind of surprised. I, there, there's a lot of, um, there, there's a lot of talk that, well, Foles came in and the offense opened up, right? Well, you know, Andy Reid kind of got that floated his way at a presser yesterday, and he, I think the, what he said to the guy who asked him, he said, I'm, I don't think I like where you're going with this, was something like that. <laughs> and basically was like, yeah, Alex is my cute quarterback. He can do everything we need him to do. He would have done the same thing Nick did. And he, and he made clear not to take anything away from Nick, but Alex would have done the same stuff. And, you know, once I watched, rewatched the game, I think I don't think Reed was just standing up for his player there. I think the game plan was very similar with Alex Smith. In less than a half worth of play, I mean, Smith only had 19 attempts that I tracked. He had, um, let me see here, out of 19, he had eight throws that were 11 yards or farther, at least as far as his depth of target goes, and that's in less than a half of play. He was targeting the intermediate and deep zones. I mean, right out of the gate, he was targeting Jeremy Macklin down the field, and he kept doing it. The Colts defenders, they did a good job against Macklin. Smith had a couple of really good throws down the field to Macklin, and just the defender was in great position. And so I, I think, and I could be wrong here, you know, when, when I when I chart the depth of Nick Foles' throws, he actually had a, a lower percentage of his throws were 11 yards or farther than Alex Smith's were. Alex Smith's were, it was over a third of his throws. It was nearly half of his throws. With Nick Foles, it was, 
it was closer to a third of his throws were 11 yards or farther. Now, he did take four shots, 20-plus yards, and Smith only had two. But again, you got to consider the context of who had more throws total. So Smith was testing the intermediate and deep zones just as much as Foles was. Um, this, the, the main difference between the two of them, if I were to boil it down, would be one ill-advised 50-yard throw that was poorly thrown and Tyreek Hill made an incredible play on the ball, and the safety made an incredibly poor play on the ball. I think that one play right there is the difference in many fans' minds because a lot of them just look at statistics, and not to insult anyone, but that's what people generally do. They look at the statistics, and that one throw, obviously, it raised Foles' yards per attempt way up there. It raised his depth of target way up there. And people look at that, they're like, wow, he was just chucking it all over the place. It's like, no, he really wasn't. Not any more so than Smith was. They had a really aggressive down-the-field game plan with Smith and Foles. The difference, really, was in one throw. And if people are going to use that throw to Tyreek Hill, that 50-yard throw, to justify Nick Foles starting, I'm going to say as respectfully as I can, (laughs) how do I say this? (laughs) anyone, anyone Anyone who uses that particular play. Now, I'm not arguing for Smith over Foles in general here. There are arguments to be made there with regards to Foles. Anyone who uses that play to argue for Nick Foles over Alex Smith either doesn't understand quarterback play or already wanted Nick Foles to replace Alex Smith and is just pushing an agenda instead of really looking at things. Because I I actually tweeted an All-22 picture Tyreek Hill, I mean, look, it's great. Take the shot down the field. I like it. Fair enough. However, on the other hand, you had Travis Kelsey wide open when he threw the ball to Hill. And before he threw the ball to Hill, it wasn't that situation where he had no way of seeing him. Kelsey was wide open. Like, you could see his body language. He couldn't believe he didn't get the ball thrown to him. Hill, when Foles started to wind up, had two defenders by him. Kelsey was coming just wide open onto the left side of the field, and Foles just missed him. If Alex Smith did that, people would be killing him. Now, here's the thing. I love aggressive shots. Take a shot. That's great. The problem is when you wildly underthrow that shot, that's not good. I actually charted that as a potential pick, as a potential interception, because if the safety hadn't thrown up all over himself in coverage— that's a pick. If that's Ron Parker back there, that's an interception. If that's Eric Berry back there, that's an interception. The safety took his eyes off the ball, kept his eyes on Hill, and then wasn't able to adjust to it. So, I mean, it was so first, so it wasn't the best read, and it was a bad throw. So, if that's the play you're going to use to justify Nick Foles or Alex Smith, you're kidding yourself. And so there, there's my nice way of saying that. That said, well, it ties really in well. with a stat, and I don't follow yards per attempt as closely as a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. I, I want to pay more attention to yards per completion because that's what's actually working on the field. So I broke that down, and when you, like you said, with that one attempt, that that skews the numbers. But even with it, Smith actually still comes out with more yards per completion than Foles did in that game. Which is a which is a good indicator of where their throws were going because yards per attempt gets skewed by completion percentage. You know, if you complete a couple five yard passes as opposed to a couple of incompletions, that really helps. So that's a good thing to look at yards per completion. Smith was pushing the ball. That's a really good stat, by the way. <laughs> um, Smith it was, works well. 
Yeah, Smith was Smith was pushing the ball down the field just as much as Foles was. The argument to be made for Foles is that when you have a deep threat like Tyreek Hill and you've got a guy like Jeremy Macklin, you've got a guy like Chris Conley, three guys who can really burn, right? And then you've got a, a tight end like Travis Kelsey who is an exceptional deep threat but doesn't get used enough like that in our offense. The argument to be made is that Foles is a better quarterback for that group of weapons because he will more consistently hit those deep shots. That's that's the better argument. Um, Do I think there's any chance whatsoever that Nick Foles gets the nod over Alex Smith once Smith is healthy? Absolutely not. I I think Foles could go out there. Let's say he plays against the Jaguars. I think he could throw seven touchdowns and 500 yards, and I think Alex Smith would still get the start when he's healthy. I don't think there's a snowball's chance in Hades that Andy Reid does that to the guy he's called his quarterback. I can't argue with you at all. Well, and to be fair, I don't know that he really should at that point because if you look at uh, you, we both, you guys have both said all the stats that really need to be talked about when you're talking about the difference between Alex Smith and Nick Foles. You can make an argument Foles has a better down the field type throw, but. You can also make the argument that he's going to make reads that aren't really, I mean, by making that read with Tyreek Hill, if Hill doesn't make that adjustment, that looks like a poor incompletion or even worse, a turnover. And that completely changes the game because that was early in the game. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I can't see that Andy Reid's going to make any changes. I don't think that that's what, the way the offense is going to be headed. I think you're right. I think that Nick Foles could come out and, and hit seven touchdowns and throw for 500 yards and still be the backup the next week. And that's really where I think it should be. I think Alex Smith has earned the right to be the starter for this team. And at five and two, unless there's a complete meltdown and somehow they lose against the Jaguars with Smith at quarterback, I can't see a change. Yeah. And yeah, it would have been different. And I know, again, we've got, I know we've got a wrap, but it would have been different. I think if Smith, hadn't come off multiple strong performances because ever since the bye week, Smith has played well. Yes. And he, yeah. And he's played particularly, I mean, these last couple weeks he's played particularly well and he was playing well against the Colts too. Um, His completion percentage was down from what it normally is, but that was due to a couple of drops. And so I don't think Smith is playing, unless Smith, like you said, has a meltdown. I just don't see it. So well, he is Seth Kaiser. I am. <laughs> you can find him on Arrowhead Pride and at RealMN Chiefs fan on Twitter. He's going to actually be the game this Sunday, so uh, hit him up on Twitter. Maybe you can say hi. Sounds good. I always like meeting readers. So, thanks for listening to us today. We really appreciate it. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Locked On Chiefs podcast. While you're out there, give us a rating or review. And reach out to us on Twitter at Ryan Tracy NFL and at Chris Clark NFL. We'll talk to you next time. Hi, 
you've reached the High Fashion Hotline. Hi, my family's going to a tailgate, and I want our style to stand out from the crowd. Just go to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, Old Navy's got all the latest fall styles. Plus, during Old Navy's colossal sale, you'll save up to 50% off store-wide. Did you say up to 50% off? I did, so don't sit on the sidelines. Old Navy has the perfect pants from 19 bucks, stylish dresses from 15 bucks, and comfy tees for the family from just 6 bucks. right now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. We're cheering for Old Navy. High Fashion, Old Navy. Valid 10-2 to 10-10. Select styles only.